All right, I just hit the record button. Hello, welcome to the Room One group coaching session. Um, in the beginning of these sessions, I just usually blab on and on, just so we let people join. Um, so I will review the model and maybe talk a little bit about the manual, which is our, um, our uh, topic for the month. So just a little bit about the manual. The manual, I like to think of as like this list of things that we think we should do. So we might have a manual for ourselves um, or we have manuals for other people. So like this list that's in our brain, that's um, kind of like our, ex our list of expectations and the way we think other people should behave or the way they should think and feel. I have manuals for people in my life and the manual that's been the most uncomfortable for me lately is the one I have for myself because um, what I've discovered is that I've had this kind of like list of expectations about the way I think my body should look and the way it should perform and um, you know, the way it should feel and all this should, 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 and it's just made up, just made up stuff. So um, I've just kind of been exploring the manual I have for myself. Also, when we go and do this mind work and we're um, kind of digging into our beliefs and why things are the way they are in our brains, we can sometimes heap on judgment about that. Like we think we should be doing something better or differently. So it's more manual stuff we have for ourselves. Um, so that's kind of my take on the manual. If you have any questions or any, um, you know, thing that maybe you don't understand about it or just curiosity about it, please, please let me know. And I'd be happy to kind of expound upon that. But the way it can be really liberating is if you just recognize that that's at play and decide if it's something you want to keep or decide it's something you want to release. It's that simple. You can just decide. Um, okay. And now let me review the model. The model, of course, is a, the main coaching tool we use here. There are lots of different coaching tools. And so this just happens to be the one we really like and think is effective. So it's where our circumstances are the facts of life or um, lately I've been calling it kind of like the observable world. And then we have thoughts about that. So we assign meaning to the observable world with our thoughts. And a lot of times we assign meaning um, about ourselves. And then those thoughts create feelings and our feelings are just vibrations in the body. The feelings then drive our actions or inactions. And those actions or inactions are what create our results or basically the lived experience or our reality. And then that will always tie back to the original thought. So with that little review, let's see if anybody would like some coaching. You can raise your hand or let me start a chat perhaps. All right. Here we go, just putting a little. Um, okay, so I just put out a little um, tickler on the chat and we'll see what happens. Okay, so Stardust, oh, there we go. <laughs> well, I appreciate your desire to give other people a chance, but right now there are no other people. 
Ooh, hell of a day in clinic. Tell me, I had one yesterday. We could commiserate or a coach or whatever. Is so Stardust is on, and does Stardust have um, had a hell of a day in clinic? I'm sure that's a relatable thing. So as this gets uploaded for streaming, it could be um, really useful for people if there's something you'd like to talk about. The other thing is Stardust is we have more people kind of um, join us. This is a weird time. Oh, whoops. <laughs> this is a weird time. So it might be that it doesn't work well. This time might not work well for people. Okay, so I'm going to promote you. And there you go. Let's see. Can you try? Talking? There we go. I just got kicked off and it rejoined. Yay. Stardust. I love that handle. That's real good. <laughs> I figured I'd save you having to change my name. <laughs> I'm always trying to come up with like really creative things. And so I'm happy. That is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Magic fairy dust. Oh. So what's going on? Uh, well, it really is just the two of us right now. Uh, so I, like you, I'm a pediatric orthopedic surgeon. Mm -hmm. And in my new current job, I've started seeing adults with disabilities because they have nowhere else to go. Mm -hmm. Right. And nobody mm -hmm. knows what to do with them or how to take care of them. And, mm -hmm. um, I had a couple adults show up in clinic today. It just broke my heart and sucked mm -hmm. the life out of me and made me feel very inadequate. Mm. And I found it very difficult to like finish clinic today. Like I just mm -hmm. felt so defeated. Yeah, I think this is very relatable. So thank you so, so much for coming <laughs> I was going to say, I didn't really mean to be coached <laughs> on it. I just happened to, that happened to be my day. This, th I mean, this is kind of like a really great example of how our bandwidth gets parsed out you know? Um, so I think this will be really helpful for people. So when you say that it broke your heart and that it sucked the life out of you, those are two thoughts. And then you mentioned two feelings inadequate or defeated, which of those, I mean, we could just choose one. We could flip a coin or you could tell me like, which one seems to be kind of like the one that is the dominant one of the, either the thought or the feeling. Um, what did, what were the feelings that I said? You said inadequate and defeated. They're kind of like similar related. Right. Um, probably inadequate is more because I'm rarely defeated and give up, but certainly felt inadequate today. Yeah. So I'm just going to put adults with disabilities in clinic in, in the C. Yep. And then um, we'll put inadequate in the F line, in the feeling line. And then we'll see, like, when you think, um, like, if you can kind of check in with yourself and what feeling inadequate feels like for you, what thought do you think produces that feeling? Uh, well, the thought that goes through my head with these patients is that our healthcare system really sucks. Um, yeah. Okay. And by that, I mean, these families are, these families have to fight for every little benefit that they can possibly get and they don't know where to fight and not everyone has that fight in them mm -hmm. um and, I, and the one woman i met today was a 65 year old with multiple sclerosis and i don't think anybody's taking care of her mm -hmm. like 
she's on a whole list of meds. I said, well, who's prescribing that for you? Well, I don't know. Somebody I saw, you know, five years ago, she doesn't have a neurologist because they don't have their own transportation and the medical transportation that they can get will only transport them within their county. Mm -hmm. But we live in rural America and they need to go to the next county to get a neurologist, you know, and just nobody's paying attention to her meds. Nobody's helping her find resources. She's lost her ability to walk a year ago. Mm -hmm. I just met her today. And her family has no way to get her anywhere other than between her bed and her wheelchair with a Hoyer lift. The only thing that they were given, taught, I don't like. And the poor daughter, the adult grown daughter was with her today. And they just, they wanted me to fix her. Mm-hmm. But I'm just an orthopedic surgeon <laughs> for kids. <laughs> right. Said, yeah, I know how to give you Botox, but that's not going to fix everything here. Yeah. So, okay. I can see it. I can see it. Like it's a great illustration. Um, what did the adult daughter say? Um, I want you to fix my mom or what did she say? No, the, the patient, you know, I always ask, you know, what are you hoping I can help with today? Mm -hmm. And the patient said, I want to walk again. Okay. And I, I was not watching the daughter at that moment. So I don't, I didn't read her facial expressions. Sure. Um, but this woman up until a year ago was walking with a walker Mm -hmm. and then it appears that there was an exacerbation of the ms Mm -hmm. she ended up being put in a nursing home in the midst of this pandemic Mm -hmm. and then basically dumped back home with with nothing Mm -hmm. but not no longer being able to walk okay so she cannot walk. She asks you or says to you, you, she wants to be able to walk, which I suppose is like a request for you to fix her. Yeah. And then what do you think? You think our healthcare is our healthcare system really sucks. Well, that's in a nutshell. Yeah. I mean, that's the larger, you know, I mean, obviously it runs through my head that I'm pretty sure you're never going to walk again. Mm Mm-hmm. And, but what I say is, well, let's talk about what I can help you with. Yeah. I know it's really difficult for you to get to clinic with transportation. So I've already taken it upon us to get you pre-authorized for Botox in case you want that today. Mm -hmm. We've got the Botox on hand in clinic in case Mm -hmm. you want that today. I will spend my lunch hour giving you the Botox in clinic if you want that today so that you don't have to come back again. Mm-hmm. With this horrible transportation that you have available to you. Um, you know, so, you know, I take care of lots of people with disabilities that can't be cured. I mean, I'm used to doing that. Yeah. But it was, I was on top of that. I let the daughter and the mom cogitate and ruminate on it for a little while. And so I left the room and down in another room was another adult patient who is has a chromosomal abnormality and is totally nonverbal, doesn't respond. Um, and he's brought to the clinic by some driver who has no idea what's wrong with the patient, no idea what anybody wants taken care of, no input about what physical therapy has been doing with him lately. His mom isn't with him. His mom usually comes to the appointments because they didn't bother to tell the mom that he had an appointment. And it wasn't until several hours later that I was able to call the mom and talk to her. And I know I'm not following your model, but that's okay. Um, this is part you know, of the download. This, this this man lives in a state facility, mm-hmm. and in his medical chart, the only phone numbers are for the facility, right? So I can't reach his 
parent Mm -hmm. unless the parent chooses to give me their phone number, which this woman has in the past. We've been trying to help him all through this pandemic. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't reach her while he was there in the clinic with me. I ended up reaching her later in the day and we had a great chat. And here's the kicker for our thought download. She was so grateful that I called and Mm -hmm. she was so grateful that I cared about her son enough to call her and say, did you know he had an appointment today? Mm -hmm. What's going on with him? What are you hoping that we can help with today? Um, And she was just so nice and complimentary. And, you know, she just said, please don't stop doing what you're doing and please don't stop caring. And it's so important that we have people like this, you know, so I was just, I just, those two patients, I just felt so horrible because I can't, I can't fix either of them. And the system is so bad. How dare they send a nonverbal patient to a doctor's appointment with nobody who knows anything about the patient? What is the doctor supposed to do? Well, I mean, it sounds like almost like a com- a comedy because it's so ridiculous, right? It's like, seriously. I mean, maybe it's different if, if you're a general surgeon and the person has a appendicitis or a bowel obstruction, maybe I don't need words, but in orthopedics, it's all about function and mm-hmm. what are you having trouble doing? <laughs> and yeah. without that information, I literally have nothing to offer you. Yeah. So... If we could um, kind of circle back to a couple of the thoughts you said in the beginning, which were like, it broke my heart. It sucked the life out of me. Um, the healthcare system is sucks. Um, and then, so there, there were some thoughts there, but then also there were some other thoughts about how you are able to rise to the occasion and you explained how there are some things that you can do, like, this is what I can offer you. Um, so if we were to try to create a model for you and for um, the rest of room one, if they watch it back and you like reflect on your day and cause it said, you know, you said you had a hell of a day in clinic. Um, what, do you think is um, like a problem or something we can tackle? Because it could be that you're like, yeah, I had a hell of a day and this happens from time to time and it's really not that big a deal. Or it's like, man, this really blew and I'm really beat now because this sucked the life out of me, like you said. Well, I guess what each of these instances, what it highlights to me is how complicated our healthcare system is Mm -hmm. that I know that there are agencies or some state offices, something that helps people with adults with disabilities get Mm -hmm. things like wheelchairs and respite care and in-home physical therapy, but I don't know them and they're different by county. And I cover a huge geographic area. Mm-hmm. And so each, you know, I might be in one clinic, but I have patients who are coming from as much as a couple of hours away. Mm-hmm. And so I just feel so inadequate that I, as the orthopedic surgeon, am not the person who should be trying to figure out which agency can you get a wheelchair from? Right. Which agency can get you in-home physical therapy? And yet somehow that falls to me because nobody else is doing it for these people. So this is really an important distinction. Um, So you feel inadequate because you think you're not able to provide these services that are going to be meaningful to these people, but that's like not your job. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, but I, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you want to seize the opportunity because they're physically present with you at that moment. Well, and they're just people who need help. Yeah. So what I want to figure, go ahead. No, I just said, I, I, I can't, 
just, I can't be the surgeon who's just like, well, I'll give you Botox. See you later. Yeah. Because that's not the majority of their problem or that's not, you know what I mean? Like this woman needs a power wheelchair. She needs in-home physical therapy. So somebody Mm -hmm. can teach her family how to do a slide board transfer. Yeah. Um, So I guess what I really want to dial into is why those things make you feel inadequate because Because I can't, I can't fix it. Right. Okay. So that's the problem there. That's the, I can't fix it. Maybe that's can't the, fix our broken healthcare system. I yeah. can't fix the adults with disabilities. So then if you, f- let's complete the model and then we'll see where this takes you. Okay. <laughs> um, so if you feel inadequate, then what do you do? I spend a lot of my own time trying to find answers for these people. Can I just say personal time since you like did your lunch hour, you did like Botox over lunch? Yeah. But then I stayed way later. I was done with patients and I stayed looking up resources and trying to figure out where this, especially this family with the patient with MS would, would even start. Yep. So you look up resources, you find, or I'm sorry, you stay late. Call patient's mom. Yep. Um, what about like in your brain? What is, what are you thinking during this time? That there's got to be a solution. Just have to find it. Was there any judgment at all? Like of myself? Of anything like condemnation of the healthcare system. Oh yeah, there's lots of condemnation of our healthcare system. You know, the fragmentation of our healthcare system is just shameful, honestly. Yeah. You know, on and I'll just throw this in that earlier in the day, I had a fifth grader Mm -hmm. who was here because her knee hurt, and I said, "Which knee hurts?" And she says, "This one." And I said, "Well, which one is that?" And she says, pointing to her left knee, mm-hmm. my right. And I say, which hand do you write with? And she holds up her right hand and she says, my left. And I look at the mom and I say, does she not know her rights and lefts? And the mom kind of laughs. And she's in fifth grade. And I, and I tell her to hold up her two hands. You know how you put, hold up the one and it looked like an L? <laughs> mm-hmm. And I tell her to hold up her two hands. And I said, which of those looks like an L? And she points to her right hand. And I looked at the mom and I go, how does she do in school? And the mom says, oh, she does okay. And I said, how's her reading? Oh, well, she's a little behind in reading. And I said, is there a chance that she's dyslexic? And the mom goes, oh, yeah, a teacher mentioned that. And I just kind of felt like, am I the only one noticing that a fifth grader doesn't know her left from her right? Um, yeah. That was kind of related because it just comes to now, if this mom wants to get her tested, if she follows up on it, that mom is going to have to fight for testing. And then she's going to have to fight for services at school to catch her daughter up to reading level. And it just, that, that stuff just drives me berserk in our system mm-hmm. because not everyone is a fighter not everyone will stand up for themselves or their child or their parent and fight for it and in our system is set up that people have to fight for it and it's just interesting okay that's this kind of like makes a little bit of a point about the manual which is our monthly topic right it's yeah. like, in your mind people um what is it? How did I just think this? Um, gosh, I just had like a stroke. <laughs> no, please don't. My gosh, what the heck? No, but I, I love the idea of manuals. 
So, so in like, my mind, yeah, in your mind, what is it that you think other people should do? Uh, that's a great, so now I'm going to judge myself. I think people, other people should pay more attention yeah. and should care more. <laughs> there you go. So this is fascinating, right? Because the whole reason this is so painful for you is because you care a great deal and you think everybody should care a great deal. And pay attention. And pay attention, right? Oh my gosh, there it is. That's why it's painful. Do you know that when we have an unpleasant emotion, the extent to which we feel that unpleasant emotion is the extent to which we think everybody should feel the unpleasant emotion. I just learned this like (gasps) three hours ago in my advanced certification program. That's a little bit mind blowing. It's mind blowing. Like, I don't know how that's measurable, but in general, I guess it's like a psychological thing. Like when we experience something that's like unpleasant, we think everybody should have a proportional response. And that isn't the way the world works, as you know. So this is super fascinating and really worth going through the whole thought download. So we could really see see how these three separate patients and the, and the problems that they arrived in an orthopedic clinic, not the social workers clinic (laughs) and why it is so painful for you and why for you, it means you're inadequate. Like it's, it's really that you feel inadequate, but it's like, you think about this healthcare system and how it's so crappy and you can't fix it. But what that means about you is that there's something like you're not able to show up for, and you think everybody else is not showing up for, and it becomes really painful. This is super fascinating. So how would you want to feel if you, if you could change it? Uh, I would love to feel like I am a small cog in the wheels that are working to help these people. Um, not yeah. like I'm the mule driving the mill around and around. <laughs> so, I just changed metaphors. <laughs> no, that's okay. I like them both. Um, because it's really, really fascinating how when we set our minds to, you know, to some, to some direction, right? Like this is, this is kind of like, the direction that your mind is set right now. Like this healthcare system sucks. I can't fix it. I feel inadequate. And so of course what you're going to do, and because this is just what human beings do. I mean, honestly, it's like, okay, well, I'm going to look around for all the evidence that will prove to me that my thought is correct. I'm going to prove the truth to myself. And if I can't find the evidence, I'm going to create it. So we'll do one of the two because we, our brains just want to be right. So here's the thing. As you were describing all of it, I was thinking to myself, dang, she does a lot for her patients. She is really like, that's like the opposite of inadequate. That's like (laughs) adequate plus it's like, who, who even like, like you were saying, you expect everybody to have the same attention and the same kind of like commitment to helping people and whatever, but I'm thinking, wow, this is one amazing doctor who just like dis- diagnosed dyslexia and who probably set the course a little differently for the man whose mom wasn't informed because now she has the ability to like decide what to do with that information. And you probably set the course a little different for the lady with MS because you, you did show up for these people. You didn't let this inadequate feeling suck you into a hole. It actually fueled you and you did really productive things. So the question is, is like that fuel and then the production, does that, is that draining to you if you think about it? Or is it, or is it just more like, 
like the way in which you were able to show up, can you even see it? Can you even see? Yes. And I think having this working through the model and doing the thought download with you may in the future help me not be quite as drained a bit rather than feeling drained. And like my soul was sucked dry. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll be like, okay, I'm going to do what I can to help you. Yeah. Because your soul is sucked dry because you think everybody else is inadequate <laughs> because other people aren't showing up the oh, way. Well, you yeah, think that might should. be true. Right. It's like, that's the thing that's draining. And, um, this is so interesting. So the other thing I wanted to kind of touch on here that I feel like is really, really important when we're working through these things is to look at any of our thoughts and recognize that the thought itself is not good or bad. It's Mm -hmm. just is, it's a string of words. And only when we create meaning around it, does it then kind of like assume this personality in our lives. It's like, yeah, like I could think about the healthcare system and I can think it totally sucks. And there is nothing wrong with you for thinking that. Like we don't have to try to erase it. Of course you think the healthcare system sucks because it does. Like we could put that in the C line, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, there's disparity, there's, it's complicated. It's, um, you know, you've got the whole rural thing going for you. It's like, we could easily flip that up into the sea line and say, I have thoughts about this healthcare system and they're reasonable because you have a human brain and you're having a human experience. And the whole idea of that is actually really beautiful. And it doesn't like that in and of itself isn't something that we need to be in a rush to change. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So, um, cause we do a lot of this model work where we're like, okay, so what do I think instead? So I can feel better. Right. And right. that's actually like, you're welcome to do that too. I mean, that's kind of the fun part that comes later, but it's like, well, yeah. I mean, we just have a human experience. So let's just experience it and not beat the shit out of ourselves the whole time. So anyway, I just had to get on a soapbox a little bit about the model. So, all right. Now, if we could reframe this for an intentional model mm-hmm. with keeping, you know, your clinic C-line the same, we can even say the healthcare system, like sucking up in the C-line, even though sucking is pretty editorial, we just say it's, it's, um, you know, multifaceted, it's uh, complicated. I don't know. We can say all of that up in the C-line. Um, I'll just put adults with disabilities. And then these are. So inadequate was the first feeling. What would be a desirable feeling if we're not going to change your clinic day, the patients that came in? Uh, well, I suppose an intentional feeling would be maybe helpful would be more than maybe a better word than adequate, like helpful, able to help them. Yeah. There's your thought. Actually, I am able to help them. I mean, it may not be like dismantling the healthcare system and rebuilding it in a single clinic day, but certainly, uh, those three patients you described got set on a different trajectory. Mm-hmm. because of the way you engaged, because of the way you cared. So if you think this thought, I am able to help, then how do you feel? Like useful or? Um, yeah, useful is a good word. And useful is, that is, as a Midwestern farm kid, useful is a very important word to me. <laughs> so <laughs> it's very important to be useful. Yeah. It gets to be whatever you want. So we're just going to complete this. So if you feel useful, it's interesting. You might actually do some of the same things in the A-line. It's just that your experience of it might be more pleasant. Right. Less resentful. Right. Yeah. So we could, we could add resent stuff on the other side. (laughs) Um, 
So, you know, we'll just say like, I'll just put, you know, similar, similar A. Because I'm still going to call the patient's mom and I'm still going to try to find a wheelchair for this woman. And Exactly. So you're still going to do all of that stuff, but the fuel is different. It's useful. You feel useful. And then the result is you help. It's a cog, not a mule. Um, So, but this is wonderful because now we can show how your lived experience could be um, like Mm -hmm. abundant or your lived experience could be that the life is getting sucked out of you. Mm -hmm. And so if you could choose one or the other, Mm -hmm. I'll choose a life suck every time. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Um, but, but that's, I love it. It's a really great example. So thank you so, so much. Do you have any questions about that? No, I do love being able to talk through it. I'm still not very good at doing a model for myself, but uh, these, these components do pop into my brain through the course of the day. Yeah. And uh, yeah, just for completeness sake, I'll, I'll just tell you that my last two patients of the day were both kids with disabilities who are being cared for by their grandparents because who knows where their parents are. So, you know, there's that whole dynamic. I know. Um, it's really difficult for me not to jump in the pool with you on this because I have a similar practice and, um, we had a conversation in our OI clinic about what constitutes medical neglect because we're trying to create an OI center of excellence. And so we have this multidisciplinary clinic and, um, there's this family, they have two kids with OI, the dad has OI. So they're not strangers to the diagnosis. And since the dad grew up with it, like their philosophy is we fracture. It's not a problem. It just is kind of how we live and they're not interested in bisphosphonates. And so they didn't come to the visit and that they haven't come to several visits because we keep making visits for them, but they don't want to come. And, um, they trust my partner, which is great because they do get fracture care and half of our team, like wanted to report this family for medical neglect. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like you, it's their manual. They think people should want to have bisphosphonates if they have a Y and it's like, no, well, I, on an aside, I was always taught to only give bisphosphonates if they're having pain. Yeah. Well, I mean, she just fractured like six weeks ago. So presumably yeah. she's something's going on, but, but here's the thing. The, the, the bottom line is, is there, there is no single guideline. Yep. There's research, but there's nothing definitive. Not everybody agrees. People don't agree on what bisphosphonate, what what, I mean, there's some general agreement, but not like a real clear, like position statement. So, and we don't know what happens long-term and this kid's five years old. And it's like, no, it's not like they don't understand a why they just don't want to have this medicine and they want us to stop bothering them. (laughs) And people have a right to decline our recommendations. They do. They absolutely do. All of us as surgeons, like I came to medicine as a second career. And so I had a different perspective going into it. And I watched my mother die a horrible Mm -hmm. over-medicalized death. Mm -hmm. And I always try to talk to people. Nobody teaches us this, right? They talk about informed consent. You have to get informed consent from the patient. Nobody talks about informed consent from the surgeon that we have to agree to the risks and benefits. Yeah. That's not where I was going with that. Um, but patients have a right to decline our recommendations. We could say you have cancer and we need to operate or you're going to die. Guess what? The patient has a right to say, I don't want surgery. Yeah. But the question of medical neglect is, especially in kids, I struggle with this all the time. I have a family, the little boy who has a recurrent club foot. Mm-hmm. And I first met him when he was three and they refused repeat serial casting. And I've met him again when he was five and they have again refused repeat serial casting. And I, part of me wants to report them for medical neglect, but they have a right to <laughs> decline my recommendation. I don't know. 
I, I think so, right? It's and we have to be careful because we really don't know to what extent other people are going through their own shit, right? Right. And for us to then, especially for the family I'm talking about, I'm like, they yep. get fracture care. Like it's, I've met them. She's fed. She doesn't have bruises. She doesn't appear to be um, visibly neglected in any way. And so for us to say it's medical neglect to design, to, to, to decline, like pretty much experimental treatment, although right. we treat it like it's not experimental. Yep. And I said, no, I don't think that's the case. And so our social worker called them and turns out they're like, yeah, please stop bugging us. Cause we really don't want this. Yep. Good. <laughs> like, and okay. that is totally within their right. Yeah. So, um, but it's like kind of back to that manual thing where we think people should do a certain thing. And then when we hang on to that and we can't, we can't even see that we are imposing our expectations for other people's behavior on them, that we are the ones that suffer. Yeah. You know, it's like drinking poison and expecting somebody else to get sick. Right. So... Well, Stardust, that was delightful. Um, we have more attendees. Does anybody oh, else want to be coached or comment or anything? Because otherwise I'm gonna keep talking. Please, other attendee, please talk. I talk way too much in these things. You don't, <laughs> see, even that's a judgment. You don't talk way too much. You talk the exact <laughs> right amount. Um, totally agree with medical recommendation thing. It also may be a cultural thing. Ooh, this is like deaf parents, not wanting their children to have cochlear implants because they have a culture. That's so good. You're right. Yes, absolutely. Yes, that is so true. And I, um, recognized that in a different OI patient because the mom has it and she was apprehensive about her newborn having it. And he was born with a bunch of fractures. And she's like, I had an orthopedic surgeon growing up who told me that I was just going to fracture and to just get used to it. So I just lived my life. And, and I just don't want these, this medication in my baby. And I was like, okay, well, let me just give you some information and you decide. So, um, so that's kind of in that culture thing when a parent has the same, um, yep. Okay. So does anybody else have anything else they would like to be coached on? Um, because we are just talking about manuals, the manuals we have for our patients, the manuals we have for our, I have them for everybody. I have them for spouses. (laughs) Don't we all? (laughs) I should actually write a manual on how to load the dishwasher, but (laughs) I was thinking about writing a manual for myself, um, like writing it out, but like being very intentional about it. Because for me personally, I have been like at war with my body. This is a total departure from kind of the healthcare thing, but I've been at war with my body basically my entire life. I cannot remember a time in my life that I have felt in like at home in this body. It has always felt like something that needed to be different. Like it needed wow. to be thinner. It needed to be stronger. It needed to be, um, you know, well, mo- mostly thinner and stronger. And I have always been like deathly afraid of weakness. And, um, I just thought, wow, I, I it's been through these last few months that I've just realized I have a manual for myself and I'm really freaking mean to myself. Mm. And, how can I rewrite that on purpose? So it's been really, really interesting and um, kind of a lot of work actually to just change the dialogue that I have with myself. There it is, radical self-love. That's exactly yeah. right. It's radical self-love, but it's like, well, how do you do that? It, it just, and it's probably looks different for different people, but it requires so much effort that I think is really worth it. Um, so really for the first time in my memory, I am able to eat food without judging the food. Oh my it's like gosh. Crazy. Yes. It's crazy. <laughs> for what it's worth. Every time I see you, I'm like, God, she's so pretty. And she looks so good. Oh, 
well, that's awfully sweet, but I'm learning a lot in this class too. It's like, it's, it's a feminism class, which I sort of like didn't ever, I don't know. I was one of those people that just ignored all that stuff. And I just kept my head down and kept going and plowing through. But what I'm learning is this, these, this messaging that we absorb, whether it's a cultural message or it's a, um, you know, societal message or, you know, with, even within our own families, the way we absorb this information from the first moment and then understanding how that informs our belief systems. And we don't even know it. It's like, we're not even aware. Mm -hmm. And then, so how can anybody question it if they're not even aware that it's there? And there's this interesting term that I just heard last week called the male gaze. And it suddenly everything clicked. And I thought to myself, oh my gosh, like all of our um, advertising is so enticing for the male gaze, you know, Mm. like, wow. And and of course it speaks to the patriarchy because at the top, at the tip of that spear is going to be your white male cis, um, what is it? Cis straight white male. So that's clear. That's at the top. And then where everybody else kind of pans out on the hierarchy is probably up for debate, depending upon who you talk to and like what intersections there are. Mm-hmm. But, the, the, but the bottom line is, is like everything is, is kind of set up for us to um, morph ourselves in such a way that it's pleasing to the male gaze. And I'm just like, oh, whoa. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) This is crazy. Like the messaging that we have absorbed literally since the very first breath we take in the world. Like, Oh, anyway, I just kind of went off on a tangent there a little bit, but the bottom line is rewriting the manual for myself on purpose and eating rice, which is delicious. And I love it. Good for you. Carbs are not bad. That's the other thing. Now I'll go like one step further. It's like our bodies have answers and we don't have to really look very far. Um, I was, I'm like a person that hyper consumes information about health and wellness and it's so conflicting. And the research is really sometimes very bad and shady and, but it's Mm -hmm. purported and it's out there. And how can anybody know, like, what, what, what do I eat? What's the healthy thing? Well, here's the deal. Like your body knows if you really, really tune in and listen, your body's going to tell you. So I have been practicing that as well. Just really honoring that and just trusting it. And it is amazing to not have so much baggage just to have, you know, a meal. So anyway, we have 12 minutes left. Does anybody else want any coaching? Stardust, you're amazing. <laughs> Thanks, I appreciate that. Yes. Oh, I do feel better about my clinic day, though. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Um, okay, so if you want to stay as a panelist, that's wonderful. I love hearing your two cents. Um, otherwise, I'm just going to keep asking. Does anybody else have something? other participant, please join in. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like our, our surgeons are still coaching curious. And, um, this, these are of course, just my thoughts about coaching in general. Um, if you look at some of the other coaching circles and for physicians, um, oh, yay, we have a volunteer. Yay. Then I will put a pin in what I was about to say just now, go ahead. Let, let's promote. We have I will. Some- uh, yeah. I'm, I'll mute myself. Okay. Sounds great. And then let's promote. Okay. Yay. Hi 12. Can you unmute yourself and tell us what's happening? Okay. There you go. I got it. Um, well, I figure since we have a few minutes, it's probably, um, a big topic to cover. And um, I don't have it very honed down, but mommy guilt is probably a big one for a lot of us. Yeah. And 
in some ways that's probably a manual and probably especially being female. Let's hear it. Yeah. Um, so um, one thing I guess I would focus in on is I'm tr- <laughs> and it's maybe my manual for my husband that I feel like he should equally do the parenting. <laughs> you know? yeah. And I don't know if he feels that way. <laughs> so tell me more. Um, well, so I've gone to part-time already. I only work four days a week instead of five. Mm-hmm. And I guess you could argue whether that's full or part, but I do, I have cut back, you know, I don't see as many patients. I don't do as many cases. So I'm home more and can be, um, more available for our children. And I know there's a lot of ways you can go about to that. And, and I partly did that um, because of what I want to do, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but um, I partly feel like it's nice if we decided to have children, if we're parents, that we are part of their lives, you know, Mm -hmm. and not just working. And my husband, when we talk about it, he says he wants to do that, but then never does and works a ton. He's an anesthesiologist. And, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I feel like we barely see him. I mean, there's, there's times where we do cause his schedule is variable, but, um, and so then most, the large lion share of stuff that has to be done, you know, even if we hire other people, all that falls on me, you know, cause he's just working all the time. So let me ask you this, when you have your talks about it, when he agrees, yes. Do you clarify what your vision is for the participation? Um, I guess maybe I haven't gotten that clear. I have talked about it'd be nice if he had a set day off a week and mm-hmm. I've asked if that's possible and he kind of goes, well, I don't know. And Okay. So, so he didn't agree to that. Right. What does, what does he actually agree to? Um, he's, he like says that it would be nice if he could have more time to help. Uh, okay. I guess that's like for sure. Have you asked him what it looks like for him to help? What, um, it, what it looks like to him for him to help? No, I never have. I've only told him what I think it should look like. Right. So this is also super interesting um, and ties in with kind of the patriarchy stuff I was just talking about is that yeah. these roles are not only decided for women, by the culture and the media and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But they're also decided for men. And what I have learned is, is that a lot of time of the, a man feels that their contribution comes from how much they work and produce and the money they bring home. So it would be really interesting to have a conversation with him where you really outline clearly what it looks like when you are participating in the parenting, because we could assume that it means what we think it means, right? Like it means putting the kids to bed and giving them a bath and reading them stories and doing the dishes and maybe sometimes having dinner as a family or whatever, right? Like that's could be what it means to us, but without knowing what it really means to him, then you're not even like talking the same language. Right. Good point. I've never asked, but what's really, you know, the coachy part of it is because you assume it's your language. You're the one that suffers when it's not, you know, going the way you think it should go. Right. So it sounds all easy and cute to be like, okay, honey. So what's your vision of what it looks like when you contribute to parenting or something like that? And it's just not that easy. It's not that easy to have those conversations sometimes. So, um, can you imagine being able to have an open conversation with him about it? I could definitely bring it up and I shouldn't judge it before it happens. I feel like it'll still be kind of one-sided, mm-hmm. but I might just be surprised that he might already think he's doing what he, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's all these patriarchal kind of influences that suggest that the way the man participates is by going to work and bringing money home. And, it, mm-hmm. and it's even more so that if they don't do that, then their identity's in jeopardy. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting how stay-at-home dads actually sometimes spin out a little bit because that is not the way they are taught to 
get any value out of themselves. Like they think that their intrinsic value depends on them having a job and being productive. And so, you know, it would be interesting. Can you report back? Can you ask him and see? Yeah, I totally could. Yeah, it and would it be could, interesting. That's a good idea. And it could be too that it looks different to your kids. Um, how old are your kids? Uh, four and eight. Four and eight. So it could be too that what they see is actually like totally fine. True. Even though, you know, we don't really trust a four and an eight year old, but it's really interesting. <laughs> it's just interesting to like ask people what it, what their vision of the thing actually is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I've done that. Um, with, so that is a manual for your husband. So thank you for helping support the monthly topic. Mm-hmm. Um, is it something that's like causing you discomfort in any way, or is it something that you are making something mean about you? I, yeah, I just feel like, um, I guess I still feel like we're not doing, like our kids still just aren't seen very much by us. And I'm like tempted to cut back further, but mm-hmm. I don't want to be the one to cut back further, yeah. you know? So um, what do you mean you feel like your kids are not seen by you? Um, I feel like we're busy with work. And I guess part of it too is, as a physician, it's hard to leave work at work. So even the time I have off is kind of sometimes clouded by that. I've been working on that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, um, even, so you have changed your schedule Mm -hmm. to be more, you know, available to your kids, but you still feel like they are not seen by you. So that would be also something to clarify a little bit because we just make up rules about how we think we should interact with our kids. But what if the way you're doing it is just like exactly the right way? Yeah. Like, have you considered that? Um, I haven't, but it very well could be. So that's where you can learn a little bit, because if you just kind of play with that a little bit to be like, what if this is just what parenting looks like? Right. And leave it at that. And then you don't have to judge yourself for, yeah, I've always been a comparer. Like I always, I constantly compare myself to others mm-hmm. and it depends on who you compare yourself to. Like one of my good friends that one of our neighbors is a stay at home mom and homeschools and, you know, like spends all her time with all her, with her children. And I, she definitely, there's some things that makes her uncomfortable about that. So I, I realize it's yeah. not all roses everywhere, but yeah, it's hard to not judge yourself by someone else's actions. And I think too, it's a really great opportunity for us to just question why we think what we think, because it's not right or wrong. Right. You know, and it doesn't mean anything about you as a human or as a parent. We all just have this opportunity here to be like, okay, well, who made up this rule? Like if I think about staying home full-time and homeschooling, I want to be violent with myself. Like I want to... (laughs) stick a pin in my eyeball. I cannot even imagine that. Um, but I can totally, you know, imagine wanting to be home more with my kid. And then when I am home more with my kid, I'm like, dang, I wish I was like doing something else. (laughs) Um, so we have to be compassionate with ourselves and like, maybe it's just going exactly the way it should go. Like there's no rule that says you have to spend like X amount of minutes with your kid per day. Otherwise they're going to grow up to be a serial killer or something like that. Right. There just isn't a rule that says that. And so if we're going to make stuff up, we might as well make it good and make it like compassionate for ourselves. Otherwise you suffer. Yeah. Um, I really appreciate you bringing that up towards the end of the call. And I'm wondering maybe if we could, pick up on something like that in the next one. I think I'm doing one on Saturday or Sunday this weekend because this deserves 
I think going through, you know, the thought download and doing a whole model on it. I think this is like a good primer. And even if you aren't able to make it, I'm just going to throw this tickler out there to see if it can stir up a little bit about this particular situation so we can go through like a whole model and see how it works. Yeah. In that way. Okay. Awesome. Well, it is 430 and I really appreciate your participation today. That was fantastic. Um, have a wonderful evening and weekend. Thanks, Jess. Yeah, you're welcome. Try to see you Sunday. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye.